Uh, in every relationship, be it family or marriage or friendship, there's always that one person who's just so chill. They stay at like a one or a two out of 10 all the time, just chill. In case you're wondering, in my friendships, marriage, family, it's not me, it's never me, it's never Never me, I'm never the chill one. I know you're all shocked to hear that. It's one of the reasons though that I love this gospel story because I relate so much to the disciples. Jesus, he's the chill one in this story, after a long day of preaching, just wants to take a nap. And a storm suddenly hits their little boat and the disciples are understandably, they're freaking out. They're not chill. I think this detail about how scared they are is important because most of these guys are seasoned fishermen. They know how to handle a sudden storm, but this is no little storm, and they are realizing after a little bit of time, this is not good. And Jesus is napping, napping. I love that the disciples take Jesus' rest so personally. Excuse me, Jesus, we are in full panic mode right now. How dare you? Don't you care that we are dying over here? Now, being the aforementioned not chill person in most, if not all of my relationships, understand this question so much. Why aren't you as mad about this as I am? Why don't you care about this thing as much as I do? Don't you see the injustice happening right here? Get mad about this with me. My husband has been known to say, listen, I don't need to get fired up about this. You're doing it enough for the both of us. So a helpful reminder in this moment to understand the disciples just a little better here is that they still don't officially know who Jesus is. And we do. So this whole story can seem a little silly of those of us to those of us who know. Now we might think they might have some idea by now, right? I mean, Jesus has been teaching them for a little while now, but we're, you know, only in chapter four of Mark's gospel, and it's mostly been stories and parables about the kingdom of God. We've heard a few of these over the past weeks. The kingdom of God is like, Jesus says, and then he talks about things like mustard seeds and seeds being thrown into the ground and growing while the sower is sleeping and good soil and rocky soil. The kingdom of God is like. Now, Jesus does not say in these parables, I am like. And at no point in Mark's gospel up until this moment has Jesus come right out and said, who he is yet. He hasn't said he's the Messiah or the Son of God or anything even close. So I think maybe we can cut the disciples just a little bit of slack for being less than chill in the moment since they don't know quite who they are dealing with. And yet their reaction in this moment still brings up a lot of questions for me. What did they want to have happen in this moment when they ran to wake him up? What were they expecting from Jesus? 
See, I think there's really only two answers to this question. The first is that they just wanted to know he was with them. I think sometimes when I say to my husband, like, get mad about this thing, and he's like, no. I mean, I just want him to be with me in my anger, right? I just want to partner in the anger. But I'm not sure that's exactly what the disciples were looking for. I think the, the second option here is the most likely option. They wanted Jesus to save them, to fix it. And since they didn't really know for sure who Jesus was yet, they were maybe just hoping he could. They were in the middle of the storm at this point, and a seasoned fisherman, I'm sure, at this moment, they had done all the right things. They tried pulling in the sails and battening down the hatches, which is a thing I don't know what it means, but it sounds like a thing you would do if you were in a storm as a sailor. They were bailing the water out, and nothing helped. And I imagine the disciples being like, well, we're at our last resort at this moment, so let's wake up Jesus. Maybe, maybe if he is who we think he is, maybe he can do something. My own quick reactions in the midst of suffering or something that seems scary or hard is the exact same as the disciples. I have a lot of things I try on my own first. A lot of tools and tactics that I have to cope with the challenges of life. And then when I come to the end of myself, then my only option left is to try God, who I kind of feel like has been sleeping for this whole time. And when things are hard, which is more often than I'd prefer, how often I assume what I'm going through is because, you know, God must not care. Otherwise, he would have woken up by now, right? Certainly feels that way. When someone you love gets sick or dies, when you get bad news, God doesn't care. When you witness violence again and again, when your life is overtaken by addiction or mental illness, God doesn't care. When you struggle to get or stay pregnant, when you watch a loved one lose parts of themselves, God must not care. When the whole world seems scary, when a global pandemic just doesn't quite seem to go all the way away, God doesn't care. I mean, that feels like the only answer, right? Because if God cared, then this wouldn't be happening. So it, if it is happening, then the only explanation left is that God just doesn't care. One of my preaching professors, Caroline Lewis, says, there's a big difference between not caring and just not being worried. Jesus isn't worried. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. And again, as a person with no chill, this isn't something I understand all that well and probably also has something to do with the fact that I'm not Jesus. But Jesus isn't worried because the storm isn't as powerful as he is. We confuse not being worried with a lack of care. After he's woken up and calms the storm, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, why are you so afraid? It can seem in the moment like the worst and most offensive question. I imagine the disciples gesturing wildly around them like, obviously, Jesus is just asking them this question, not as an accusation or as 
We may have thought of it before, a rebuke of the disciples, but I kind of feel like maybe, just maybe, this is a chance for them to reflect on what just happened. I think this is the question for us as well today. When we feel the same way about what's happening in the world or in our lives, Because despite our often misunderstanding of these words, they are not an accusation, but maybe a chance for us to wonder what we might be expecting God to do when we wake him up in any situation. What are we asking for when we call out for God to save us? What is it we really believe about God's role in the world or in our lives that makes us think this way? This question makes us wonder what we might actually believe about God's character during times of suffering. Someone this week asked me if I think God wants us to be happy. What a question. (laughs) But I think the answer that each one of us has to that question tells us a lot about what we think about God and who God is. Because if God simply wants us to be happy, then why does life kind of suck sometimes? Why is life so hard if God just wants us to be happy? Well, the bad theology, but pretty pretty typical answer to that question is that it's your fault. You didn't believe enough, or pray hard enough, or the right way, or have enough faith. You have too many questions, or too many doubts, too much sin, you're just too much. If you're not happy, if your life is hard, then it's on you, right? Because God just wants you to be happy. And I really, really get wanting to believe this. I do, because then it gives you some illusion of control. But today's gospel story pushes pretty hard against this. This whole system we call prosperity gospel, which says, you know, God just wants you to be happy and you just need to do it right and God will give you what you want. Mark's gospel today pushes against this so hard. The disciples don't even know who Jesus is. They don't really know that he's the Messiah. So was it even possible for them to have believed themselves out of that storm? Could their faith in something they didn't even understand have saved them in the moment? I find it reassuring that the answer is no. I find this very reassuring. They didn't have control over the storm. They didn't predict what was going to happen. And all of their coping mechanisms and well-thought-out plans for what to do in the event of a storm at sea went out the window in the face of the reality. They were scared. Fear is a really great motivator, isn't it? When we're scared, we lose a lot of our ability to be rational, to think clearly, to be calm. No offense to Katie, because I think taking a breath is a really, really, really good thing, but when I'm freaking out, there is no calm breathing happening up here. that's That's not a part of my repertoire. Author Debbie Thomas talked about our fear and where it takes us when we're in the worst storms. And she said, the problem isn't your fear, it's where the fear leads you. 
When I face fearsome circumstances, my go-to position is not trust or even curiosity, it's full-on suspicion. In my fear, I conjure up a God who is stony-faced, implacable, and loveless. A God to whom I am expendable. A God who withdraws. And once I've conjured up that God, I withdraw too. I curl up tight and I focus on survival, convinced I'm alone. All my capacity for reflection disappears. Well, shoot, I feel personally attacked by that paragraph. When I'm afraid, my default response is withdrawal and suspicion. Into myself, away from God, away from others. Faith, then, is not the opposite of fear. Like, we won't be afraid if we somehow believe more or better, but instead I think what faith does is ask us to stay. To stay engaged, stay in it, stay with each other, despite how scared we are. So much over this past year, we've heard these refrains of, I'm going to live in faith, not fear. Anybody heard that this year? As if being afraid is the worst possible sin imaginable. But what if living in faith, not fear, doesn't mean acting without care for others or without regard to circumstances or consequences, but instead, what if it means that we live with faith even though we are afraid? We listen to what our fear is telling us. Faith does not remove our fear, it sits with us in it. Faith does not inoculate us from fear or from anything that scares us. It simply gives us a way to stay engaged with God and with each other. Again, Debbie Thomas writes, In Mark's story of the storm, the obvious fact is that Jesus is just as present in the raging water as he is in the calm that follows. Despite the disciples' inability to perceive it, there is no point that night when God was absent or distant. In that vulnerable boat, surrounded by that swelling, terrifying water, the disciples are in the intimate company of Jesus. He rests in their midst, tossed as they are tossed, soaked as they are soaked. And then she said this part that has stuck with me. She said, I will spend the rest of my life seeking this one grace, the grace to experience God's presence in the storm, the grace to know that I am accompanied by the divine in the bleakest, most treacherous places, the grace to trust that Jesus cares even when I'm drowning, even when the miraculous calm does not come. This felt like the real gospel to me in this story. Because if I'm honest, I also struggle to believe God is with me in the bleakest, darkest places. And to think for just a moment that my work right now is to seek also this one grace, the grace to experience God in the storm. That felt like just enough for this week. So here is my blessing for you, Prince of Peace. May you here today find some moment of seeking the same grace and the peace it provides. 
May you find the grace to not withdraw when you're afraid. May you find the grace to trust that God cares even when God isn't worried. May you find the grace to know that we don't go alone even if your storm never calms. May you, with me, find the grace to experience God's presence in every storm. Amen. So at the end of uh, today's gospel, Jesus calms a storm and it says the disciples were filled. Our translation says great awe, but it's actually not the right word. It's they were filled with even more fear, which I just think is so great because it reminds us that when things happen in front of us, when a storm is calmed or as it keeps going, the disciples, they got what they wanted. What they thought they wanted was the storm to be calmed. And that happened, they were more scared than they were when they were in the storm. So the problem is never and has never been our fear. Um, and so I, I, I personally find that very comforting. <laughs> As somebody who uh, gets scared of a lot of things in the world, I find it comforting that the fear is not what goes away. It's a reminder instead that God stays with us whether there's a storm, whether there's a calm, and no matter how scared we are. The reminder of today's gospel is that God's love is always bigger than our fear. And we got to see that happen right here. Because no matter what happens in Tyler's life, with a big smile on his face, God goes with him. And so do we take, sometimes with our fear with us into the world, we take this promise of God's love and God's presence with us as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.